Hello, welcome to the Betches Up Podcast. I'm Sammy Fishbein. I'm Brian Russell Smith. And for those of you who are just tuning in, the Betches Up Podcast is your weekly rundown of all the crazy shit that's happening in the news explained by your two funniest friends. Which is us. Which is us. Today, we are bringing you a very special guest. Her name is Angelina Lombardo. She's a former stripper of eight years who now devotes her time and career to coaching the underserved and stigmatized sex industry community on everything from self-love and empowerment to self-care practices. Her mission is to change sex industry norms, make these issues and conversations more mainstream, and teach people about the industry's truths and illusions. She also just casually happens to be a best-selling author of the book Love Letters to a Stripper and a Retired Birth Worker. So we're going to get to know Angelina real soon. Betches Media presents... I like beer. I don't know if you do. Okay. Do you like beer, Senator, or not? Uh, my party is going bat crazy. <laughs> You're the pop- Alternative facts. Oh, goodness. The Betches Sup podcast america welcome angelina thank you for coming thank you for having me here yeah thanks for coming in oh you you brought us these beautiful lays yes they smell amazing yeah therapy the smell yeah it is very therapeutic that's the idea also from i'm from maui and so when we meet new people and um from across the country we like to bring lays Mm -hmm. so you've been laid oh Oh, we have been (laughs) i'm glad you like them So today we wanted to talk about something that, you know, doesn't really get a lot of play, which is the sex industry. Obviously, there's, you know, you you hear about this kind of topic in usually a scandalous way. The most recent one would be Robert Kraft. So I would love to get into that whole situation um, with you from and hear about it from your perspective. But also questions about decriminalizing prostitution and those sort of things. And, you know, just generally the experience of a sex worker, the choices that you're faced with, the sort of injustices that you that one may need to to figure out and fight against and Mm -hmm. figure out how to cope with so tell us about you know do you could you just tell us a little bit about yourself to start sure yeah Yeah. actually um i can start by telling you my experience as a sex worker and how that how i actually um I, i guess i'll use the words ended up in that industry. I was living on Maui and um, had been faced with homelessness before. Um, I had been on the streets since I was probably about 14 to 15, homeless. I had a really uh, difficult childhood, so there was abuse. And I was escaping that abuse and um, ended up on the street at age 20, I think it was 21. Um, I was homeless again, and it was very difficult to actually find employment. I'm not exactly sure what contributed to that, but in my mind, it was there must be something really wrong with me somehow. I'm wearing my trauma, or um, maybe I didn't seem responsible enough. However, I had had other, you know, I had had work before. So I was desperate, um, and I coincidentally answered an ad and it was for uh like dancing telegrams or singing Mm -hmm. telegrams and it was um I would say innocent enough because I didn't think it had anything to do with the sex industry and I had um no idea but I started having a conversation with the gentleman on on the other line and he just turned out to be a pimp wow wow. yes how did he how did you figure that out did he say hello I'm a pimp so I am extremely savvy being on the streets. You can, you sense it first off, but then it's in the language and it wasn't immediate. He was very charismatic and friendly, 
uh, Mark one (laughs) (laughs) seemed, but I really thought he was just asking like an employer. uh, Yeah, totally. And so, um, we got towards the end of the conversation where he was setting up like the time to meet and the day and that, and he asked me my measurements Mm. and that was like, it threw me and I stopped and I laughed and I said, oh, wait, you have definitely got the wrong. Like there's, uh, why are you asking for my measurements? Right. And he said, well, didn't you know that this is for like bachelor parties and dancing? You know, this is for naked dancing. This is, you know, and I said, oh, no, you have the I have the wrong. No, it's just completely wrong. And I said, thank you. And and I was going to hang up. And he said, no, 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 no. And he was nice, like I told you, and very charismatic. And I was young still. So even though I understood what was happening, I, I'm a people pleaser. I was. Me too. Yeah. So I was right. You know, it's like, oh, I'll just give him the, I'll just be generous with my time and stay. And eventually he actually got me to bring my boyfriend at the time and my boyfriend's best friend because they were very beautiful. They're from Israel. And he wanted all of us to meet him. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, if anything freaking shady goes down, I got backup and I'm not alone. And I mean, it seemed weird, but he was just normalizing it. Somehow he was normalizing it. And he was really pushing the money situation. And to me, that sounded great because I was homeless. So mm. I was, I just want, I was curious. Right. So do you, just looking back, I know this is like early in the conversation to be asking, do you feel that you were misled or do you feel that like this was kind of the only way for for it to go? Like, like how do you feel about that being kind of the way it, you got into it? So I guess I don't I don't think I hmm, misled. Maybe not, um, except for all the places where I was ignorant and uneducated at that time. So there could potentially be some misled Uh, intentions I sort of uh, being the adventurous type of person and curious and I I I was just very curious about it and he just kept mentioning the money and it got weird you know there's a lot to the story Mm -hmm. it got eventually it got weird and I dropped his I dropped him you can curse by the way oh Uh, great I had to fucking drop his ass (laughs) (laughs) so what happened from there so it's so the first i was so we met it was a great lunch his name was carl and he was pretty good looking it was on maui we don't have any strip clubs and his thing was place the ads and take care of all the advertising um and then when he gets the calls he then pages (laughs) it was when pagers were up and about so he would page me i would call and find out where the call where i would go right and um the first call was um it was interesting. I it was um, I think eleven o'clock at night. He told me that it would be at all hours, and I would have to be on call when I was on call. The first call came in, and I was fucking terrified. I got like you know I've got sexual abuse in my past, a lot of it, and I had been currently just holding the tension of that abuse, right? Uh, as and being as self aware as I could, and at the same time, I'm gonna go and dance or something naked with someone I absolutely don't even under know. 
Uh, and so I was definitely terrified. However, it did turn out pretty cool. I went to a junkyard of sorts on Maui and I walked into this super shady like feeling building and there was this gigantic Hawaiian biker, actual biker. He just, very, he looked very, he, that hole if you wanted to, um, I don't know what the word is, like you, you would just type him as like aggressive yeah, and maybe would, possibly violent yeah. and he was the biggest fucking teddy bear. Ever. <laughs> really? Yes. And uh, part of this was there was no touching. So I was really dancing and entertaining. It was like a peep show. They would stay a distance that I would determine. And they would do what they did. And I would do what I did. And then it would be done. I think it was half hour increments. We always told them that there was somebody waiting outside. Was the, there? Uh, not always. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I started to get regulars. Mm -hmm. But that was smart. Yeah. yeah. But I no matter what, I would say, uh, yeah. And Carl would, Carl, it would either be Carl or boyfriend or would make the phone call. So my phone would, or pager would ring. And um, and so it did give the um, illusion that there was somebody always there. But mm -hmm. there wasn't. That's smart, though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So that was kind of like your first foray into it. That was it. my first foray. How did it, how did it evolve and how did your feelings toward it change? So I walked out of that first time, I think with um, 300 bucks. It was for a half an hour. Mm -hmm. And he was very pleasant and extremely respectful and nice. And I felt, I felt and thought that I had created the, a boundary. So I felt empowered. I also felt extremely confused. So I wasn't sure how this went with the narrative that I, and I don't typically like to stay in a narrative, but it, it was sort of, um, it, the confusion came from having the sexual abuse in the past. And, um, and then it seemed as though I may have been putting myself in harm's way to have that happen again. So as a child, I was abused several times by multiple people over a, my childhood I'm sorry yeah it, it was it it was not easy and then i i left my family only to become a victim of rape um on the streets as well and so it was as though you know you're born into something i didn't understand and i couldn't grasp there was a blind spot that i cognitively i was cognizantly aware that i needed to somehow own the experience mm -hmm. and change it right shift it but i could not find it and that is why it was really m more confusing but then i was also getting money and i was able to have i could pay rent i had decisions i wasn't in a homeless shelter in my car anymore i could afford money i didn't have to ask it and if you know i didn't ask all the time mm -hmm. i wasn't so i was going hungry i was not sleeping very well uh, shit goes down when you're homeless and it makes it difficult to actually get a job. So yeah. your mental, yeah, your emotion, it's just, yeah. yeah, it's hard. So, so like how, how long, like, like, so that was kind of the beginning, but yeah. let's say, so you did, you did it for eight years Yeah, was like, let's say fast forward to year like five. Yeah. Did you at any point, um, come to like really embrace it? Yeah. as something that you felt fully empowered and how did you do that so interesting i'll tell you a little fun so this is, so, is super personal in uh 
my when I left Maui, so I so on Maui there's no clubs, no clubs. I actually traveled to Oahu, and then I started traveling the circuit. I mean, you go where the money is. There are different influxes of men doing, you know. So so I traveled. So I started to go to Oahu, and um, I found very quickly that I thought I could help men feel less violent if I just loved them through dancing. If I somehow and you know it's. It's just the way I, mm-hmm. that was my experience. I felt like, here, look at me. My body is bare and I'm also meeting you. So I would look at them in the eyes. We would have conversations. I was open. I was too open, of mm-hmm. course, but it was based on the fact that I thought I was healing <laughs> right. yeah. the violence in men in for men. a while. <laughs> Do you, do you think that that's a noble cause right yeah. <laughs> spread the legs and hopefully he's gonna ever, do you think that that's it like do you feel that you were ever validated in that belief or do you feel that you were completely misguided and no i actually uh, there was validation all the time because here is what i got paid mostly for was sitting and talking wow so that's what they really want. That's I've heard all that they want to be before, fucking yeah. met. They mm-hmm. want to be met. They want to be. It's okay if you're in a club. There's you know naked women, and somehow he's lost as well. They just want to be embraced. They mm-hmm. want to be seen. They want to be heard. No exceptions. Just like every other human, but it feels safe in there and in, in the club. W- yeah. W- so why why is it that why do you have any theories on why? some men would find more solace with a sex worker who they've never met than with people who they encounter in their everyday life or their spouses or family members or friends. Yeah. It's pretty interesting how, um, uh, somehow they feel safe and, and grow in intimacy. I, I think, uh, a lot of the maybe the myths that we are somehow less than, so maybe they think they have nothing to lose if they're going to spend, be speaking to us and you know telling that also speaking about their proclivities and things that they wouldn't even tell their wives Mm -hmm. or friends or yes friends most (laughs) we heard it all I don't I can hear nothing shocks me right nothing shocks me so I think maybe that has a play it's almost like they their insecurity is able to Mm. sort of go away because Mm -hmm. they've I mean, I'm just thinking from their perspective, they must think like, oh, well, I'm paying this person. So therefore I have power. Therefore I can reveal my insecurities without having to worry because it's not with someone who I need to at least pretend I consider an equal. That's right. Yeah. My, my head is shaking. You are on the nose there. That is money. Yeah. Did you ever, and you can totally not answer this if you feel uncomfortable. Did you Mm -hmm. ever, most of the time or ever, did you feel more on the side of empowered or did you feel more on the side of being disrespected and taken advantage of or or did you at the time feel differently and then looking back realize i was kind of kidding myself yeah i sort of okay so like i said i was very adventurous i'm always uh, i mean i'm also um i'm pretty brazen i'm bold so i feel like i put a good front so Here's the thing. I would put that front. I would create a boundary or so I thought. And I still was taken advantage of. And then guess who had to deal with the fallout? Me. Mm-hmm. I was the hardest on myself. And so it sort of went like on the, it just did this like inside out sort of shame thing. And then, of course, on the outside, there was also the shame and the stigma that was happening. And my community knew what I was doing. So I wasn't anonymous. I okay. was front and center. I 
just so I felt empowered in one way because I thought, well, this this seems better than being taken advantage of, being raped, being molested. It's like a different, um, I guess, a different vein to sexual um, autonomy. Mm -hmm. It's it was my way of claiming it in one way. But I I guess I would hold both. I'm not the person that went in and went, woohoo, I'm totally empowered. And this is fucking great. You know, sometimes I wanted to be in the club. Sometimes I did not want to be in the club, but I would go in anyway because it's a job, right? It's it really is just work. Um, And some days I felt empowered and sometimes or some days I felt um, desperate. That's what brought me in there. It was desperation. And I just felt like there was nothing better. Yeah. what what could I do this is giving me everything and so after yeah. eight years what was the ending point so here's here's how what this looks like I started um, I did it for a few years um, from like 21 to 25 24 I um, I left because I had my daughter mm-hmm and I met, yes, I met my daughter's father in the club, although he was from Maui. A lot of the people traveled from Maui to go to the club. So the surfers, the watermen, just all kinds of people would come from, you know, their bachelor parties, things mm-hmm. like that. So I had already uh, known him from back home and we met at the club and one thing led to another and I was pregnant. I had my daughter and it was a, an abusive domestically, it was he was a professional athlete. It was a domestic violence issue. I felt like a fool. So that's why I say th- I was holding the empowerment. I was also holding the blind spot for all of the abuse and confusion. And so with that said, I was with him and um, I left because of the violence. And he, being this professional spotlighted athlete. Uh, like a famous person? Famous person. Would we know him? Who, well, if you're into water sports, you may, but mm, mm, no. yeah, yeah. if you're not, I mean, no. Yeah. Um, but uh, he, in order to save face, used all of his money and all of his resources. And let me tell you, it was a lot. And he, he actually took custody of my daughter, which was extremely well, fucking devastating. It was the number one. I'm so sorry. Most devastating You know, I've I have a really intense background, but that stopped me dead in my tracks. I didn't think it was going to happen. I was an amazing I was an amazing mother, and you know, when you have a child, something clicks, and all of the stuff that you had as a you know as a child yourself starts to become more clear. And as you watch your child, you want better, more different for them. And I was doing a lot of that. And then to have her taken away because I was um, deemed a sexual deviant. Uh, They took her away because of the past of sex work. And I actually. He's the one who was making use of your services. Son of a bitch, right? Yeah. That is the, it is a double standard. So the patriarchal oppression of women Mm -hmm. is alive and strong because I wasn't the only one that that actually happened to on Maui. It went on to happen several times and I've actually coached women that have gone through that exact chain of whether they were a dancer or there were different reasons they were just being taken away from their mothers yeah so how how did you make this transition out of stripping or and sex work into coaching people and really just trying to to approach it differently so um 
after this whole thing went down and the custody was removed from me, I, like I, I was just really distraught and um, also bold and pissed. Mm -hmm. So I went straight back to stripping. I mean, I was already stripping. They took her away and I had a chance there to either stop stripping and try somehow to get her back in some way. That wasn't the option because he wasn't following through with agreements. So I needed money. Money is choice, especially when you're a woman. Wealth, yeah, control, choice, option. We have options. We are in control. So that's where I went. I went to Vegas and I started uh, working my ass off and piling all of my money into the best ball busting woman lawyer back home on Maui. She's known for it. Mm, (laughs) So yeah, and I just did not let up. I was fucking relentless. But But what was happening for me was I was starting to drink in the club. I was starting to lose it. I was losing it because she was not there and I was, my access, I was just completely off. So I started to notice that. I started having more bad nights. It was taking from my bottom line. There was no return on my investment. And I just sat there one night and I just, you know, it just hit me. Okay, what are you doing here? Well, I'm working really hard to get money for that lawyer, right? Well, is that, are you getting closer to getting her back? And the answer was no. And that night I up and walked out. I thought there's, this isn't the trade-off for me. This just isn't worth it. Like my why did not meet this, what I was currently doing. So I up and, and, and left and went back home to Maui and started doing whatever I could. I actually opened up a cleaning company and a carpet cleaning company. So I was on, I'm, been an entrepreneur and a hustler since mm-hmm. you know you can imagine yeah and so I started that and eventually I got her back and what the transition looked like for me was I, I started that company and then I started another company and then I got extremely ill and I was paralyzed in bed I, I it just woke up like that oh, and I was Jesus. diagnosed with Lyme's disease oh. I stayed in bed for many many years and just recently probably 2015 I finally put the last piece of Lyme's symptoms which was chronic fatigue syndrome and I finally got that into remission. And with that said, I hit the ground running because I had spent all those years healing emotionally, uh, physically, uh, just all of that. The My entire life just sort of like hit the wall, right? And I was bedridden, surren- I surrendered and that was it. So I think that's the main reason I, I, I came back to where this all began because there are so many different myths and yeah. there's just, it's not the way that you would think, especially the hot button out here and, you know, yeah. you hear taglines and right. there's so, more to it. Yeah. So what has changed over the time in the industry <laughs> and is, do you think that there, people are more accepting or the societal stigma is still the same? You know, it's interesting. I would say it's the same. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you the first thing that really, um, I actually had my reaction was I was pissed when I started figuring out that these, that housewives are, that's a total generalized term, but women were now using pole dancing as exercising. Whereas we were sluts and whores and filthy pieces of shit, basically yeah. until they decided somehow that a pole dancing would be great. So it started with that. I was sort of conflicted, but you know, I wasn't going to get down on anybody's get down. So that was okay. But, um, I, I just think that there's this polarized view. There's a super glamorization, get the bag, you know, the, just 
which Cardi is B. amazing. Fucking love her. Yeah. <laughs> How can we not love her? She's completely authentically her, which mm-hmm. is the most important thing, right? But there's that side, and then there's the there's the um, other side where we're less than. We're not real, you know. It, mm-hmm. Like if we are raped while doing our job, they actually won't treat us the same way they would treat. Someone in a family. Meanwhile, it's the same. It's rape. So I think the stigma is still kind of really alive. And do you think that? So there's obviously a a move towards decriminalizing Mm. sex work. Are you an advocate of that, Mm -hmm. or you Mm -hmm. are a thousand percent? I would say at this at this point. For what reasons, and what do you think the 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 benefits would be of that? (sighs) Ah. So I just met yesterday with Jessica Raven. She is um, she started uh, Decrim DC and Decrim New York Coalition, and um, I can't exactly remember the three things that sh- they're working on as a coalition. Um, but I uh, sort of echo what they the decriminalization is going to make it um, much easier to access resources for, like say we're um, assaulted on the Mm. job on the job right then we'll be able to actually safely report that that's going to take time though so like it's not going to happen overnight that sex workers are actually going to um trust to do this right it's very traumatizing to um interact with law enforcement there's a lot of abuse that happens in you know that also it's traumatizing to be arrested i've Mm -hmm. never been arrested myself and i would say my sex work was i did other things but mostly it was dancing so i i have I have that view, but the biggest issue right now that we're facing is um, black transgender women are, or black transgenders are actually um, the ones that are getting the worst mm-hmm. brunt of, I think, the criminalization. And so they're already. Um, well, they're also they're already like the most marginalized. That's what group in our community yeah. in our in our yes. country and yes. you know they face the most persecution they're yes. most most likely to get killed at anyone even though they make up such a small demographic of this country yes they are disproportionately it's like you know how white rich male straight yeah. is kind of like all the boxes for the most privilege yeah mm-hmm. that's the that's opposite. the absolute opposite they yeah. are uh, so here is a statistic in dc there are 55 percent of black transgenders are um Oh my gosh, I definitely want to get this right. So 55% of the transgender population in D.C. Um, are unemployed, of course. And they're the sex workers, That's they represent that. Um, 48% of employers have gone on the record to say that they would rather hire a under, what is it, an under... Um, Underqualified, underqualified cisgender, yeah. yeah, cisgender, as opposed to hiring someone that's more qualified, a black transgender mm-hmm. that's more qualified. Mm-hmm. So they can't really get access. They're not accessing jobs yeah. or the opportunities yeah. because of that marginalization. And it's a, you know, it's a small group, but it's a large group. Yeah. It's, it's, wow. nice. yeah. it's alarming. Do you think one of the reasons that people decide to do sex work is because they can't do something else or do you think that there are people who genuinely feel that this is empowering like i remember 
um, a few years ago, there was like this girl, she was a Duke student and she mm-hmm. basically wrote this whole manifesto mm-hmm. about how she was basically using sex work to pay through co- pay for college and she felt very empowered by it. And I remember the reactions being very strong to that. But, you know, who's to say that she doesn't really feel that way? So I'm going to say this. I think it's all of that. I mean, mm-hmm. as much as we're all individually different and unique in our ways, there are women that are empowered by doing that. And there are women who have been abused that actually use that as therapy. They'll go in, they'll, in order to, it's sort of, I think it's um, a fast forward button on the uncovering of the nuances of what it is or what it feels like to be abused and that experience. So I think that there's that. And then there's fucking desperation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's no resources. There's no peer mentorship. There's, there's just a lack of education in the first place. And I would just answer that question with, I think it's, I think it's the total package. It's everything. There are women being empowered or are empowered all the way down to exploited, right? not mm-hmm. empowered at all, confused, you know, been victims and then end up in the industry. And that goes from there. So as someone who actually works with sex workers, do you think that decriminalization would we would cause the feelings that people have to lean more towards empowerment and away from abuse or desperation. I definitely think it is a starting point. I think that we need to have the starting point somewhere so that we can actually start seeing what it looks like. You know how I had mentioned that women are coming from being raped and using you know, dancing in a club, let's say, to claim their autonomy and to own their own you know, um, their own story. Um, I think that once we can decriminalize, once it's decriminalized, right, we can actually start to address the resources that are needed. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I had mentioned Jessica. She had back in DC, she had started a uh, program where she had, I think, some 20 bars who were willing to hire the sex workers that if she she would train them so they were paying to train them in restaurant and bar work and then the bars and restaurants were then hiring these sex workers that we need resources Mm -hmm. that's what it boils down to you know i'm coaching women who want to be sugar babies what do they want to do that because they want more power and choice there's that as well and i there that's a i think that's a great that's a great reason yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's interesting because it's i feel like there's sort of this parallel throughout a lot of different levels of society to not necessarily sex work itself but the dynamics involved in it so you look at the entertainment industry and the whole idea of the casting couch it's it's not obviously the same thing and i don't think but i do think that there's some of the shades of it that are the same where you know it might just you know, you have the Harvey Weinsteins of mm. the world who basically say, I will not give you a role if you don't sleep with me. Mm-hmm. Why is that just because it comes with, you know, gowns that you borrow from designers and, and diamond earrings that you, you know, wear to the award shows? Like, why is that more acceptable than sex work that you've done or people who you've coached have done? It's ultimately, it's kind of playing on the same dynamics, just at different levels of society. I agree, and I don't know if it's acceptable or not. I think that that's it's, that yeah. exploitation. I mean, they they it's will not acceptable, sleep. but it 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 doesn't it didn't have the stigma 
like now we have the yeah. Me Too movement, but let's yeah. say backtrack five years, it didn't have the same stigma. Like people knew about the casting couch and what that's, that meant, but no one was like, oh, that's gross or not empowering. Like people just kind of looked over it. Mm, they looked away because they yeah. they knew there was some shitty, shady shit happening yeah. and they didn't know yeah. what to do about it. Yeah. And, they, and it introduces a lot of confusion. If the people who are directly being exploited are sort of confused that there's some exploitation being, you know, taking place, I'm getting this dress, I'm getting what I need, I'm getting the, uh, quote unquote, the, at least the illusion of power and choice in where I'm going, at least, you know, in the films or whatever, say, for instance, then, um, we're all left to be a little confused anyway. And the most confused is be is the exploited the, the one that who's being exploited and doesn't know it or doesn't recognize it. I'm not saying that everyone has to have the feelings of feeling exploited if they were right. But that's there is the confusion with right. that as well. There's no clear set guidelines. I, I, I want to be very careful there. There are guidelines, but you yeah. know, it's it's fady. It's mm-hmm. I mean, it's and because it's not technically legal, it's yeah. harder to make those guidelines real. <sighs> Yeah. But it would be if it were. Very much. So, Sammy, you brought up uh, Robert Kraft in the beginning. How does, you know, sex trafficking, sex trafficking, how does that relate to our current laws around sex work? So, sex trafficking and the laws? Yeah. Are you well, so I'm just trying to think, like, so I know that, like, people are trying to talk about these laws. Like I know that in Florida, they're talking about creating yeah. this law where it's like, well, we're going to make a registry, but it's only yeah. for like pimps, for example. Yeah, but the then they're like, Johns. but they're like, no, like sex workers will probably get on that list as well. They sure will. Um, and they're saying that's to prevent sex trafficking. Right. How do our current laws and the, like, how can we make it? How can we, how can we make sex work legal while also stopping that? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm yeah, saying? yeah, okay. I, I understand. So the question is, how do we um, make sex work legal, like decriminalize it, mm-hmm. and also have our eye on the pulse of sex trafficking? Yeah. Um, I think education, uh, the first thing I'm going to say is knowing that sex trafficking and sex work are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. They really are not the same thing. Well, mm-hmm. one's consensual really, really and, one is, yeah. and one is not, but I yeah. think mm-hmm. that because sex work is not legal that I think that ultimately it's almost that having it not be legal, like enables the trafficking. Mm -hmm. It does. And also I'm going to, I'm going to tell you something. So the trafficking, sex trafficking doesn't always, and more than actually less than not, it's uh, not representative to think that somebody's being held against their will. Um, That's not the norm. The norm is, somebody gets into sex work consensually and then say they get a boyfriend and that boy, this is very, you know, this is just a small example. That boyfriend either wants the power or control, something happens where there's domestic abuse and he then now is exploiting her to pay his bills, to pay him to stay. That is considered sex trafficking as mm. well. So that's happening a lot. Uh, in right. one way or another, right? Uh, actually, interestingly, 47% of us, I'm not going to say sex workers because they actually don't think that, so 40% of women that took this, um, that answered a, a, a statistical, I don't, test, said that, uh, and they were homeless, said that they had traded sex work, well, 
and they're not calling themselves sex workers, right? They're not identifying as that. Traded that for resources like home homes. And that, you know, think about sort of rides the line. I mean, yeah. we're sort of like, so decriminalizing, it would actually address the the actual points like it would start to take these murky waters and all the myths and then uh society's you know stigma Mm -hmm. and it would open that up for discussion and and then from there we really need resources real real resources we don't need to keep stigmatizing and you know phospha and that has just collapsed the entire i mean we're, we're in trouble with that with that current law. Well, I think when you put current. when you put something and you push it to the black market, you're basically mm. allowing it to be just like whatever the fuck goes. Perverted, yeah. And you're not really protecting anyone. And I'm sure there would be, you know, the Mike Pence's of the world who'd be like, they don't deserve to be protected. Mm-hmm. But again, I he only cares about protecting fetuses, so... Um, coincidentally yeah. this is sort of like the uh, the um abortion situation i mean mm-hmm. it, there's so many similarities yeah. right yeah. i was thinking of it's like it's all God. about not letting women make the choice yeah. their own personal like their choices about their own bodies yeah men and get off on that men yeah. definitely get off but on that <laughs> control you know yeah. yeah um just as a last question given everything you've seen all the people you've coached what you've experienced what is your hope for the future in the field of sex work so like what's kind of your my vision your vision my big you like, could make it happen yeah my big vision in the in the sky which i actually have my eye on that prize mm-hmm. uh this talking more um about what's really happening decriminalizing it so that we can actually have those conversations da gonzalez here in brooklyn actually had that talk um last week and so being starting those conversations in the right places um which would be policymakers mm-hmm. etc um i think what in my book i speak about um a term i call friendly witness so a friendly witness is someone who is an empathetic listener a non-judgmental shame-free like safe zone where people can actually sex workers can come and talk so pure mentorship like for me, if I could just reach all the sex workers mm-hmm. and start working on or coaching and mentoring them on, okay, wealth, how about wealth management? That's what we really fucking need. Yeah. We don't people need people who get any sort of help <laughs> with wealth management are people who The people already are have wealthy. wealthy. Yeah. yeah, they're already there. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. we need people that are, you know, you're making money and hopefully this doesn't sound crass, but you're making money on your back and someone is somebody making money off your back. I mean, where if you're going to sell excuse me sell pussy shouldn't you own it first wealth Mm -hmm. management we need some resources and ways to actually teach um sex workers how to keep that money how to what an roi is good for and how they would evaluate that for themselves and you know i could go on but i would really love to start having um peer mentorships and um I'm coincidentally going to start that in Seattle where uh, what Jessica Raven had started with the bars and the restaurants. I want to start that as well so that I can start funneling people in and the people that want jobs. Don't get me wrong. Not every sex worker wants to stop that work. It was flexible for me. I could have a mental health day and not fucking worry. Mm -hmm. But for the people who would like to exit or just stay in there and actually make some wealth, I would like to I would like to actually have somebody put in place. I, I would like to have other coaches or sex workers 
it needs to be sex workers. Just let me make sure that yeah, I make that. It that needs to be sex workers mentoring and coaching and loving and holding this vision for all of them. That's amazing. I mean, I think, I think look, like it's definitely an undertaking, but one person at a time mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. really... Like I think you help one person, it has a reaction right. to it. Mm-hmm. So this has been right. really an illuminating conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited for everyone to hear it, even though as they're hearing me say this, they're here. They already heard it. It's a weird ca- it's like, very cute. Ca- like, <laughs> cataclysm we live in when yes. we do podcasts because it's like it feels like we're in the present, but it's kind of in the future, but also the past. Yes. It's really weird. Exactly. It's bizarre. <laughs> you guys are great. I didn't think about that. Yeah. It's so exciting um, to think about that. So guys, check out Angelina's best-selling book, Love Letters to a Stripper. This is just really, I wish we could continue talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but this was really, really so enlightening. Um, where can people find you if they, other than the book, if they want to? AngelinaLombardo.com. Let's, uh, let's talk. And it's a let's, what is the bar? Hyphen? Let's hyphen talk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, just go and give me your information and I can, um, I'll reach out. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Your well, Angelina, your name will be in the t- description and in the title, so they can just Google you too. That's, that's right, yes. uh, Angelina. I made it very easy for people to find me, Angelina Lombardo, yeah. everywhere. Angelina Lombardo, yeah. you're interested, <laughs> right? Um, are there any organizations you think we should uh, our listeners should check out? If they want to yes. learn more or see how they can get involved. Yes. So Decrim New York and DC are the coalition is um, a really great resource. Um, I would say that right now, and there's another one and I can't, you know, when you're like on the spot, mm-hmm. shit, you I can send it to us and we can, we'll I'll put it, yeah, yeah we'll there's, there's at least somewhere. one or two others that I had planned on mentioning because I think they're really important and they actually, um, I vibe with them well because they're really, they're really, uh, you know, uh, strong in what they're doing and they're more peer based and resources based. We need money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we need money, people. That's what this is all about. Hello, mm-hmm. money, yeah. money, money. <laughs> even if we have, here's the thing, even if like women have, let's say, money of, or financial advantages equivalent to men, mm-hmm. even if that is the case, mm. I almost feel like there's still more that needs to be done that's totally. just not financial. Obviously, money is like the enabler, but I yeah. almost feel like that's only the first step. Exactly. And then after that, it's money story. It's about the power. Yeah. And the emotions. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, there's so much. That's another That's another episode. Yes, <laughs> it is. I, I love it that. Yeah. yeah. So thank you for listening. And until the end of democracy, I'm Sammy Fishbein. I'm Brian Smith. And this has been the Betcha Sub Podcast. Betches.